Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V-Radio. Good evening, and welcome to this edition of V-Radio. Um, I actually thought we were going to have to postpone initially. It doesn't look like we're going to have to, although there appears to be some kind of technical problem uh, going on right now. Is uh, like I just talked to him on Skype not more than a couple seconds ago, and then I told him to hang up so I could call him back. And uh, now, for some reason, it is not allowing me to call him, so... We are going to do our best to get Patrick Lovell on the show as fast as possible. Um, welcome to V-Radio. If this is your first time listening to V-Radio, please check out my website, v-radio.org. Uh, there you can see more shows like this one, interviews with documentary filmmakers, activists, politicians, the few good ones, scientists, uh, and just generally good roundtable discussions with people who are trying to make this world better. So, um, in the event that I can't, for some reason, connect to him this way, I may have to call his phone and see what was going on with that. But, um, in any case, uh, bear with me, folks. Um, this is actually an unusual problem, because I literally was talking to him on Skype not more than a few seconds ago, and now all of a sudden there's a problem. So, maybe I should have uh, went ahead and waited. But, um, in the meantime, let me go ahead and uh, look for his phone number. And I'll just go ahead and add him to the show that way. But uh, to those of you who've uh, not had a chance to um, yet, uh, be sure to check out the uh, daily news shows that I've been doing, although they have not been as daily as I would have liked, uh, largely because um, because uh, of the fact that uh, I got really, really sick. So uh, that's that interrupted me more than that, more or less. And uh, you're going to see more of those daily news shows. It's actually my intention eventually. Summer Perry will be joining me regularly on those shows in the upcoming future. Unfortunately, she was not able to do so uh, because she's moving currently, and there's a lot of hoopla involved with that. And uh, if you have any ideas for any future news shows, like if you come across a like a breaking news article that you think should be introduced... Uh, please don't hesitate to go to my Facebook group and add it. So, um, give this a try. Hi, you've reached Patrick Lovell. Please leave your name and number, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. <laughs> well, uh, hi, Patrick. This is me trying to call your phone, and not, and it's not working. <laughs> For some reason, there's some kind of problem with the Skype, so I guess I'm going to... It's kind of frustrating, because we just fixed this, like, less than a few moments ago, but... Anyway, um, I'm going to try again as soon as that makes me... figure out what's going on here, but... If this becomes a problem, um, all that will really happen is I'll just reschedule the show, uh, and uh, we'll talk about it then, but... In the meantime, while I'm trying to figure this out, let me go ahead and uh, play something for you while you're sitting here. The Americans seem to think that the party's going to last forever, and the holiday goes on and on. And they don't really see 
the error of certain things. I mean, uh, All right, everything should be ironed out now. I apologize for that, folks. Skype was acting all kinds of wonky, um, but we are on now, and I will extend the showtime to be sure that we have the same amount of talk you were expecting. Oh, and, all right. And, uh, well, uh, once again, everybody, uh, welcome to the show. I apologize for the uh, delay in service, so to speak. And um, uh, today my guest is Patrick Lovell. Um for those of you, if this is the first time you've been tuning into V Radio, please check out my website, v hyphen or v minus radio dot org. Uh, there you can find archives of more shows like this one. Um, so, Patrick, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Neil, for having me on. I appreciate it. No problem at all. Now, Patrick, you and I met at Occupy Detroit in Grand Circus Park when you were doing a tour of different occupies for the film that you you have put together. Um, I actually got to watch the film today, and I got to tell you, you did an excellent job. Well, uh, I, I I appreciate that, and I got your note, man, and I, I really am looking forward to this conversation because, you know, of course, uh, it was so exciting to be in in Detroit and see the energy and to talk to you and some of your your uh, fellow Detroiters, as they call them, I guess, and uh, just a, the level of I, I think passion and intelligence of that area really astounded me after having traveled the entire country detroit was definitely one of my favorite places yeah that's actually you had some interesting footage of uh detroit while you were there it brought back a lot of great memories for me um now i guess uh the first question i always ask a, a new guest is i as i told you um what was the precipice moment for you and i think you actually kind of explain it in the film but since the film isn't available yet <laughs> let's go ahead and give a sneak peek into the life of patrick lovell and what was the moment for you that made you become an activist well you know neil i've always been very involved with <clears throat> politics and the ways of our country um really since as, as long as i can remember um you know going as far back as as being a kid growing up in houston texas i used to always read the paper I was always involved, and I think that was an inf because of the influence of my grandfather and my father. Um, but I became an activist as, as far as this film is concerned by way of actually having lost pretty much everything. In 2000, on September 15, 2008, I was set to receive uh, a major investment for my company that I was trying to get off the ground, something that uh, I was able to launch because in 2007, I, I had the best year of my career up to that point, and it gave me confidence because I had won awards, I was doing national stuff, and, you know, it was just seemingly part of the uh, the growth, and, you know, I was reaching my 40th birthday, which is in October, and I um, had begun looking for investors, and so the economy was just, you know, booming, as you may recall, in 2007, mm -hmm. 
And I started to get into conversations with high net worth individuals that were friends of mine. I live in Park City, Utah. It's an affluent community. Um, and, uh, you know, money wasn't a problem. I was surrounded by money. Money was everywhere. It, it was like you tended to lose sight of, I don't know, reality because just everybody was on fire and there was money flowing all over the place and money was easy. And so I was confident that I could get my, my, uh, company off the ground and I found the right investor. It took us a long time to start to put the deal together. And I put all my eggs in one basket, Neil. And so what that means was all of my other billing just started to kind of evaporate. And as a producer, you know, I could do a lot of commercial projects at the time. And I was just focusing on doing national television programming and writing feature films. And so when I finally got this individual to come on board as an investor, um, we had set September 15, 2008 as the day I was going to realize my initial funds. My birthday, as I mentioned, was about six weeks later. And I was scheduled to go with my wife, you know, uh, down to Miami, do this bourgeois thing and have a great time. And, you know, I was living large, man. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden, the deal went south because the economy went south. The meltdown happened. September 15, 2008, just came out of nowhere. And like all high net worth, worth individuals, my investor was tied up on Wall Street. And he was losing money hand over fist. And so he decided to pull his funding and uh, there I was in a situation where I had no plan B. I didn't, uh, you know, work like crazy to find a whole bunch of other business out of the gate because I was convinced this was going to happen. This was a close friend of mine that was investing in my company. And uh, suddenly it went south. And there I was with a mortgage. I have a wife. I have a child. And uh, everything that I had worked so hard for in my life, everything that I had really focused and kind of done the right steps. I had graduated from college. I had worked in Los Angeles. I had, you know, come up through television production and, and, and film in some capacity. I had been burned several times in the industry, but, but the fact was I just, I hung in there and I kept moving forward and I had a really good run from about 2002 to 2008. And then all of a sudden it was going away. And I was, you know, went from having a really high nut nut per month. I mean, it's ridiculous now when I look back at it, but I was spending money hand over fist, and, and suddenly I couldn't afford to pay my bills. So I was upside down in, in my mortgage. I was upside down in, in credit card bills. I was upside down in the lease of the vehicle and all of those sorts of things. And I was drowning in debt, and there was no way I could get the income that I had grown accustomed to over the previous five years. It was gone. It evaporated overnight. And entrepreneurs like me, I was always able, Neil, to be able to generate business, and now the business was gone. There was no money in the system. So I washed out. One thing led to another. We got involved. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. But the bottom line is sure. um, I, I, I lost everything, Neil, and then I found everything that mattered as a result. That's really, you know, it's interesting, actually. Your story, is, and I remember, you know, watching how you kind of laid it out in really good detail, is actually very common uh, to people that I encountered when I was, you know, going through various Occupy camps. Uh, in some cases, the, the people that I would say uh, were the most compelling, ironically, were the mo were what I would refer to as former conservatives, like yeah. like people that if you spoke to them maybe even just two years ago, would be like, you know, oh no, the economy's fine, and you know, all poor people, well they they're just poor because they want to be poor, you know, th they would be spouting this kind of crap. Yeah, you know, and and I met them in you know, and there were a lot of people in Occupy Detroit who were what I would call former conservatives, 
not just blue collar. There were for, former white collar guys, you know, and girls. You know, a lot of them that did all the things that the free marketeers tell you to do. Like, right. I met one woman who re-educated herself three times, because that's what you're supposed to do. Go get a different education, you know, and started her own business. Did all the things that they tell you to do in the times of crisis that supposedly a free market's supposed to fix. And it still didn't matter. Right. You know, in Detroit, it's like squeezing blood from a stone, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, you were there. It's It's like a crater, you know, everywhere yep. you look. And that's... Um, that's actually something that came up during a recent interview I did while I was out at an Occupy Detroit event was there was this cycling group called the Bicycle Superheroes. And to those of you who haven't heard that interview, you can check it out in my archives. It was one of my uploaded shows, so you weren't given a, a mail notification about it. But anyway, you know, where this lady was from Austin, Texas, and she came up here and was just de- you know, amazed at what she referred to as just the devastation. Like she had no idea. Right. You know, um, but in any case, uh, you know, yeah, and, and we had a great talk at Grand Circus Park, and I look forward to sharing that with my listeners in the future. Um, you know, but I think that uh, one of the things that I have to say, having watched your film, um, and I, I really, I, first of all, it's ridiculous to me that you've had any trouble finding anyone to publish this because this is this is a great film, and I and one of the things that I think I liked the most about it was was the comparisons I drew to other documentaries about similar topics. You you just blew them out of the water, especially wow. like, you know, Inside Job got all this attention. And don't get me wrong, Inside Job's a good film, but Inside Job's like, a, you know, attempt at explaining the, like, for example, the the, the bank, you know, bailout and the all the, the false mortgages. And I don't want to call them false, but you get my point, you know, just these sure. terrible mortgages. You did a much better job of explaining that situation than anybody I've ever seen attempt to. And I think you broke it down in terms that people could understand, you know, a lot better. Um, and it, it it's just like anything else that you find in these, these uh, especially when it comes to banks. You know, Peter Joseph talks about this all the time, is that the system is made to be overcomplicated so that you can't track these people, so that you can't see what they're up to. You know, and your film did a really good job, an eloquent job, but at the same time a simplistic job of explaining you know, this thing that people have been trying to wrap their head around. There are a lot of people who don't understand why the bank bailout was, was bad. They they might, you know, they might go ahead and say, okay, I'll I'll, I'll give you the, the benefit of the doubt, but do they really grasp it? You know, even oh, it's the biggest, it's the biggest, it's the biggest heist in, in, in con job in the history of the world, man. Yeah. And, you know, first of all, you're, you're, you know, your kudos to me, I, I, especially in comparison to Inside Job, which is one of my all-time favorite films. I mean, thank you, Neil. I, it, it, just to hear you say that, just it makes me feel so good because I think that's the nature of everything. See, the film Forward that I produce, Waking Up the American Dream, mm-hmm. is it starts with my story, which, as I mentioned at the outset, starts with you know the implosion of my life and you know much of it being self-created, of course. But then, you know, as I moved forward, I realized, yeah, I had made tons of mistakes myself, did a lot of things that my parents had warned me not to do, like spend too much money, not save enough, do all of those sorts of things that maybe our parents' generation, or at least the uh, the uh, baby boomer generation would had a lot better grasp of. But, you know, I grew up in an upper middle class family, and I, and I knew what my dad went through in his corporate job, and, you know, the, the being on the rat wheel effect, and what everything that that means. And so when I ended up, you know, becoming an entrepreneur and moving forward, I thought I was doing my duty as, as an American to pursue my American dream. And, 
And when I got caught flat-footed and I realized that there was a $700 billion TARP funds, uh, $50 billion of which were set aside for the Making Homes Affordable program, I thought at the time that it was in the best interest of the banks to be able to stabilize the housing market so that, uh, you know, um, everything could start again. And it was something I intuitively felt as I was going through it, which was my wife and I were trying to modify our house initially, and we couldn't get a modified loan. Uh, they wouldn't talk to us. They kept spinning our wheels and moving us into one labyrinth or another. And I just, you know, as a business guy, I know when I'm getting played. And I was like, wait a second, this this isn't adding up. Something's not right here. Where is the money? And where where is the decency here? Because we all know the banks would have been gone. They would have been gone had it not been for TARP. And why would they have been gone? Because they took risky bets. They put themselves into these giant feeding frenzies of subprime mortgages. And then later after the, you know, when the shoe dropped, you know, they started pointing the finger at all the people that got into houses and they kept saying things like, you know, this, this person couldn't afford a home and shouldn't have afforded the mortgage. So they're at fault. Wait a second, man, dude, we built a bubble economy based on credit and the real production economy that you so um, uh, forthrightly know uh, firsthand coming from Detroit had been farmed out and murdered years ago. I mean, it's been four decades of this long march to this moment in 2008 when the floor dropped out. It was a consequence of everything, on top of which, of course, you add globalism to the mix after the fall of the Berlin Wall. And we farmed out all middle class jobs. And so we tried to recreate this facade of a middle class by allowing the banks to do what they did. Now, mind you, Neil, and I know you're knowledgeable about this, and, I, and I'm sure your, your viewers are too, or your, your, your listeners, but what really is just insanity is that these banksters, as we call them, did occupy, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, these consortiums, these investment bankers, man, because of Glass-Steagall and being able to get rid of deregulation and being able to you know, marry the insurance with the credit uh, default swaps and the CDOs, the credit default uh, obligations, and all of these so-called financial tools, it was just a shell game, man. And at the same time, these guys on the top were making money beyond comprehension. And then they always use this this argument. And what's interesting that you say you've met so-called conservatives, you know, that occupy after they've had, you know, obviously the blinders removed and they could see Oz finally, is the fact that these guys, you know, always said, hey, this is capitalism. We're doing this for the shareholder. What we point out in the film is, no, you're not doing it for the shareholder. You're doing it for um, your, uh, your, your own account. You're, ba- you're basically, um, you know, the hell with everybody else. This is because of inside information and the rest of it. And, you know, it was all a facade. So when they got their first bonuses, these giant, you know, I mean, when we're talking 2003 through 2007, you know, guys like, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? That, that Dick Fold at, uh, at uh, Lehman Brothers pulled in over $100 million, man. And, or what am I talking about? A hundred million dollars, dude, close to a billion dollars. Right. And this was all built on, you know, these bubbles, man. And everybody knew that there wasn't a middle class. Everybody knew that this was just basically torquing the system. And, you know, when it all failed, they should have failed. But what happened? They got bailed out because commercial banks and investment banks are tied together because of the repeal of Glass-Steagall in 1999 by the Clinton administration. And as such, these guys were able to, you know, pay themselves off again with the credit default swaps and the insurance from AIG, which had to get bailed out. And then they paid themselves a third mega bailout, you know, uh, or excuse me, bonus structure 
which should hit the fan for the rest of us. And then what happened, Neil? They became the most profitable in the history of their creation right. um, you know, in 2009 because they weren't putting money out there and everything was on the sidelines. So entrepreneurs such as myself went down the tubes. We ate shit. We lost our health care. We lost our homes. We nearly lost our families. Many of us lost our families. Many of us lost our lives. I wonder how many people committed suicide throughout this time period. And, you know, you asked me at the outset, when did I become an activist? I became an activist when they fucked my American dream. Pardon the language. No, that's cool. I'll just I'll just put the profanity warning when we when that goes to upload. But no, I get it. And you and you're you're emotional and you're passionate and that really showed forward in your in your filmmaking for sure. You know, and I, I gotta say, you know, your story and the way that you bring it home to people, I think, will also reach a certain crowd. I mean, if we can get them to watch it, you right. know, who we're in the position now just by some twist of fate that you were in, you know, go, man, this could happen to me. You know, this guy isn't some, you know, brain dead uh, high school dropout is just sitting around in tents, you know, asking for a handout like that right. garbage that Romney said recently. I don't know right. if you heard the Romney tapes that they just released, but, you yeah, know, garbage. Yeah. Yes. Um, but, and I, did a whole expose on that in my last show, guys, if you want to check it out. But um, anyway, uh, you know, it's it, – and in fact, that's another thing I liked about your film was that uh, you definitely gave a voice to some people, you know, that did not fit the the propagandized mold that occupiers are supposed to belong to, okay. you know, that were all lazy. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, I knew that that wasn't true. Like even before I was an activist, like uh, as things were starting to go to hell, you know, my first time in the unemployment office, you know, I went in there, you know, kind of ashamed and I'm expecting to be surrounded by the, you know, the crowd that they tell you supposedly goes to these places. And, and I'm not, I'm not surrounded by quote unquote welfare moms or any of that other crap. I'm surrounded by, a lot of defeated blue collar workers, like, you know, those kind of men that, you know, just look like a mountain, you know, the ones that are, you know, wearing like the, you know, the, the plaid coats and stuff like that. The hardcore GM, you know, auto people, you know, are there and they are just defeated. Like they have this destroyed look on their face. Like they cannot believe they're there. They by well, no let's means. Think, let's think people. about that for a second, though, Neil. Yeah. Let's think about how horrible the situation is. Like what Romney represents, who's the evil incarnate, if you ask me. Because, sure. because you know, when you start to get down to the nitty gritties of private equity, you know, and how it all works, you know, what were these guys doing? Well, we know that they're vulture capitalists, and anybody who buys. Uh, you know, that he's anything other than somebody who picked clean, profitable companies to basically, you know, create this 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 uh, shell game where they were getting big loans by big banks, investment banks. And then what do they do? They ended up bankrupting these guys and walking away with giant profits. They're destroyers, man. And to have that guy literally run for president at a time after 2008, which is astounding to me. But beyond that, it's astounding that there's not outrage throughout the country, that this guy is not met with by millions of demonstrators all over the country being called out for being a traitor as far as I'm concerned. He is a traitor. He's got his money in the Cayman Islands. The guy got his money by shopping jobs overseas. And he waves the American flag, Neil. That's not my idea of an American. No, I agree with you entirely. And that's, you know, the funny thing is, you know, when we, we were just talking about that, once again, you know, the Romney thing, when I played the portion 
about him going to China and experiencing how they would pack like a dozen women into one room and right. put, you know, like, and that's something that that's just when we talk about the propaganda of the conservative wing, that's another thing that they call us liars about. They say, oh, that's not true. You know, sweatshops aren't like that. You know, we're helping these people out and, you know, don't listen to that, you know, li bleeding heart liberal propaganda. I'm like, okay, so here we have a private conversation that the guy didn't know he was being recorded. He's surrounded by one percenters. Yeah. Okay. And he is flat out explaining, you know, 12 women, one room. You know, like, what was it, nine bunk beds or something, like, you know, worse than, you know, slave conditions in the plantations in the South. And, you know, they have to set up fences and uh, watchtowers like it's yep. a prison camp yep. just to keep the desperate people out of there who might yep. try to get a job. That's right. Yeah. You know, that guy is the epitome of, of the problem and the fact that we know that he's being shoved down our throats. You know, I, I, I've got an understanding now after having made the film of really kind of what's at stake and what these guys are doing. And what I mean by these guys are the super PACs and these, these huge corporate interests, particularly the Cokes, led by the Cokes and all the rest of them. You know, but the fossil fuel industry is staging a, um, uh, you know, hostile takeover of the United States government. You know, that's what I ask in the film, man. I mean, you know, what is democracy today? What is capitalism today? By that node, uh, what is the purpose of our patriotism in a globalized world? I mean, you know, what I point out so clearly and what people in the dialogue has to happen, and I, and I think some people, like you were talking about those people that were just worked in the unemployment line that were just defeated. Right. I think there's millions of people out there that don't know which way to turn, and that's why I wanted to make this film, um, to be able to inspire people to get active, to be able to understand the real concerns of or not the concerns the, the the crisis that we're up against because not only are the bad guys in control the ones that have sold us down the river that have created this implosion that got bailed out because of the 2008 tarp field because they were on the inside because of this whole ivy league slash consortium that they're all in the game together and uh uh you know what have we become we become england man we become a monarchy it's a plutocracy corporatocracy whatever the case it is i like to call it a kleptocracy but these guys are evil and they don't you know i believe you know i i'm a oh, i'm a yuppie right from the 80s in a sense even though i've been a punk rocker and dead shows yada 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 but i've always believed in social mobility is my point and that you get out of this country what you put into it and i realized before the, this film uh because of what happened that's not the reality of our nation anymore and we've got to literally fight to get it back. And I don't mean, you know, am I, am I professing civil war? No, I think there's an in-between step. I believe that there's got to be capitalism with a conscience, Neil. There's got to be people that literally know what team they're playing for. And the problem that we have today is that all of these one percenters are the point zero 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 one percenters, and then all the bottom feeders that kind of surround their, their tables and, and feed off of their, uh, you know, they're, they're kicking, you know, pieces of crumbs off the table. Um, you know, these guys have got way too much power and they right. keep buying off of our, our politicians who suck up to the situation because of the revolving door and the thing's an absolute disaster, dude. What's it going to take to turn the USS Titanic around? Well, it's, I think it's going to take an awful lot of awareness and, and work like yours, work like mine, you know, alternative media is really the only hope we have, you know, um, yeah, I, I think corporate media is a, a sellout. Let me give you a, a quick indication about that. I've got a good friend that is at MSNBC who does their original long-form uh, content, loves the film, pointed out to me recently that a big problem with my film for them is not the quality of the film because it hits on every mark. It's not the emotionalism. It's every mark. It's not that, you know, the, it's the progressivism works for them. But 
What doesn't is the fact that I, I, I put right in the crosshairs the fossil fuel industry as the problem, and guess who's paying their bills? Who? The fossil fuel industry, meaning they're <laughs> advertising all over MSNBC, CNN. They own both conventions. You know, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I, and that's, you know, the fossil fuel industry. I mean, there's so many industries involved with ensuring that we're kind of stuck in the system that we're in. You know, right. you talked a little bit about the war. I mean, because like the uh, the military industrial complex is, is a huge lobby. Uh, the medical industrial complex is a term that Senator Mike Gravel taught me. Uh, the prison industrial complex is, is which is the worst of the worst. Right, is coming together. You know where we can trade stocks based on how many people are in prison. Um, you know, uh, it, it's it's expanding. And no, you're absolutely right though about about oil being the king. That was one of the the other points uh, that I loved about your film was uh, the Jeremy Rifkin proportions where he's given out some of the information. And one of them was that like of the five top corporations in the world, three of them are oil companies. Yeah, in the top ten, seven of them are oil Oh, yeah, companies. top ten, and, yeah. And that, and that doesn't include the state-sponsored ones. Yeah, I mean, dude, they own the whole system. What Rifkin pointed out, too, is that a third of the world's GDP is dependent on the oil spigot. And, the, and, and then conversely, you know, James Hansen, who is also in the film, the world's leading climatologist, NASA, uh, you know, specialist in, in global warming, um, and, and uh, not paid off, <laughs> not bought by any corporate lobby, you know, he, he, he talks to us about, the, the nature of, look, we're screwed, man. Once we go over that 575 megatons of CO2 in the atmosphere, because the Earth is a hydro cycle, that we pass the tipping point. And what happens beyond flooding of cities at low levels really is, is destroying the breadbaskets where we, where, where we create food for the 7 billion plus people on the planet. That's when we're going to have significant problems. Right. No, I agree. And it's, I think that was another thing that you know uh, I liked about your film was that you move it in the direction of obviously the answer is sustainability. You know we need to move towards sustainability. That you know the peak oil issue is something that my listeners talk about a lot because um, a lot of them are followers of uh, the film uh, Collapse. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I have. Yeah, it's a terrific uh, execution. Right. I've seen. I've seen. I haven't seen the whole film, but I'm aware of it. Yes. Right, and it's you know there are other good films you know about the issue of peak oil, but even like you know this is the other thing I tell people, and this is a problem we run into in activism all the time because there's I, I've even got friends who are activists, for example, who don't agree with global warming. They're like you know they buy into the whole the whole hoax thing, and then you know and I'm like okay, well look, okay, let's just assume that global warming isn't real for a minute. We know, for example. You know, like uh, in the twelfth hour, actually, uh, Leo Leo DiCaprio was part of a documentary about different problems in the world, and he pointed out that there's a bunch of other things that releasing all that CO two and CO two into the air do, including things wonderful things like acid rain. You know, there's all kinds of other problems. You know, that that are that are being contributed to by this, and there's there's no good reason for us to be doing it for the environment. But the biggest problem with all of this, I mean, above anything else, is just that. The, the oil industries are ensuring that we are their slaves, and they're gonna and they control everything. As you said, they have huge amounts of money, huge amounts of influence. The, you know, all of our infrastructure is built on oil. You know, they, they can control you know huge aspects of of world politics. You know, especially with you know as you pointed out in your film, and many other people are talking about now that it's it's legal for corporations just to give as much money to you know campaigns as they want. You know, even if they're ironically, even if they're foreign corporations, there are ways to filter the money that way. These 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 guys have sold us down the river, and they're traitors, man. And you know, one thing I would say to anybody, um, your listeners or 
um, uh, anyone that uh, you know t- it thinks that global warming isn't a, a real deal to read uh, Bill McKibben's article that was posted in Rolling Stone. In fact, I'm doing a quick search on it right now. I think it's called Terrible Math. Uh, but we did something like 3,445 um, consecutive heat records this last summer in North America. And uh, I think the um, uh, the context of that is like you would the math is like something to the 45th power where you know the likelihood of that being a coincidence is more than there are stars in the known universe it's 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 unbelievable what we've done and what we've passed but more to the point of what you were making your point um neil is the fact that the way the oil industry works which i point out in the film too is the fact that and i know this by the way because both my the two closest people in my life are my grandfather and my father who both come from the oil and gas industry and so I grew up with this stuff, and I know how it works. So you have to have giant capital investments to go out and drill for long periods of time. We've already pulled out all the easy oils, so now it's harder to get to. So the technology has to be so much more involved that goes to greater depths and offshores and places that require huge geopolitical investment and security and that sort of thing. And they take 30 or 40 years to realize. And so on the books, you've got these investment banks that went, you know, that would have gone down um, had it not been for TARP. And instead of putting the money into the productive economy and the government, you know, let's say incentivizing, you know, renewing our, our, our everything that we manufacture here for our own consumption, uh, obviously they can't even subsidize the oil industry, but at that, because it's owned by the oil industry, meaning Congress. And, uh, you know, my point though, with, with, uh, the nature of, of, of the investment and everything else is it gets to a point where now these banks have put all their money into future derivatives and oil exchanges because that's the only place the real big money makers or uh, big billion and trillionaires are making money right now is on the futures of oil derivatives. And so it's all on their balance sheets, man. This is oil that hasn't even, be, hasn't even been drilled for yet. So, for example, you've got Rex Tillerson and ExxonMobil with like $27 trillion on their books, man. And what they're saying is they're going to pull out X amount of fossil or oil, which is going to, through its consumption, put us well over that 575 megaton uh, 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 threshold. And so at that point, we pass tipping points. And that means that you start really creating more acidification of the oceans. And it creates, uh, you know, this incredible onslaught of extinction of species, starting with those that live at the bottom of the ocean that are part of the food chain. And it works its way up and you're screwed. Everything about the, pa- the, the planet is balanced. Everything about our common conundrum at the moment is imbalanced. There is nothing balanced about our country at the moment. That's why you got 400 billionaires that have more net worth than 150 million Americans. Right. No, that's absolutely true. Um, it, it's it's actually the the amount of the the wealth disparity. That was the other thing. <laughs> I, I don't remember that Joker's name, but that guy you were talking to, uh, the the free market guy that you were talking to. No, he was from the Cokes. He he was the head of the Coke State Operation. I, I was surprised he even talked to you. Like, yeah, exactly. What did you tell you to that guy to get him to talk to you? You know, I think I basically set it up that I wanted to do a interview to be able to get their side of things in contrast to what it was that I was doing. And I, I don't know. I just I remember I, I definitely coerced it. There's no question about it. But, you know, and I walked in there with a Dead Kennedy T-shirt on, too, which was hilarious because I don't think he had any idea it was Dead Kennedy. But did you catch in the film – when, you know, I put in there that, you know, he, in an off manner, talked about his master's from Harvard. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
You know what I mean? It's like I wanted to point out that, you know, that's it's still, you know, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. And look, you know, the Cokes, the Cokes, man, they're buying, they're buying. What they want to do is they want to just choke the system. That's what they want to do. I think they're less concerned about the presidential race than they are just making sure Congress has many of their Tea Partiers in there so nothing gets done. Because when nothing gets done and the EPA can't do anything and they can't uh, do a carbon tax, then they're free to make you know more billions than they already have. Right. No, that's absolutely true. Um, I presume that, uh, especially since you're looking into sustainable uh, options, that you're already familiar with the film Who Killed the Electric Car um, and the various uh, efforts that were made by the oil companies like Texaco to buy out the battery patents on uh, yeah. you know, designs that could have made electric cars more viable. From so, the very beginning, they were evil incarnate, dude. And so were the whole deal with Standard Oil and the Rockefellers and the rest of it. Right. Buy out the uh, the trolley system and get rid of all of the, the, the old uh, public transport we used to have to force people to buy more automobiles. You know, it just it it just goes and and goes and goes, and I just it, it's stuff like that and movements like that that would be completely legal in a free market. That I don't understand how these people would come to us and suggest that the solution is to give more freedom to people as far as to what they can do with their money when it comes to things like that, without any kind of uh, foresight into what it's going to do to the economies, you know, uh, that, that we all live in. You know, no thought well, in a world that we all live in too. You know, right. in, in, in a world that you know, uh, I mean, is one of a kind as we know it in a grand, uh, infinite of space. But you know, let me let me ask you this, and this is what I've been trying to get my head around for forever. Right, mm-hmm. you're in alternative media because there's a, a market for it, and thank God you're doing it because it's beautiful to have things that aren't skewed by you know uh, corporate media. Right. Um, you know, to that point, me, uh, everything that I I'm about is to try to quite frankly sell a renewable energy paradigm, which is what I learned from uh, Jeremy Rifkin, the third industrial revolution, that we know how to replace our oil uh, dependency. And the fact of the matter is (laughs) the way free markets should work, right, is that an informed populace who understands what's in their best interest make decisions that drive the best product. But we know that's all hogwash, and it's all hogwash because of what we were just talking about (laughs) when you buy the system and you corrupt the system. And that's a real, real hard thing for me to swallow, man, because I always believed in the system. No, I understand completely. Um, It sounds like your family is actually uh, (laughs) active there behind you. I can hear some of them. A little bit, yeah, yeah. They'll they'll, they'll kind of uh, be quiet in the background for sure, so it's all good. (laughs) No problem, no. uh, there was another thing, actually, uh, that, that kind of brought a smile to my face. Not long ago, I had Rocky Anderson on my radio show, and I actually have uh, uh, several listeners that are big fans of his and plan to vote for him uh, in this election. He's a great uh, man. And uh, I, I was curious, you know, just what, were your, what was your experience like with that guy? You know, I, I live in Utah, and I've, I've met with uh, – hold on. Hold on one second, okay? Sure. <laughs> Alice, can you be a little bit quieter, please? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. No, it's cool. I got a family too. I get it. But go on. Um, so Rocky Anderson is such a man of character, in my opinion, and integrity. He's a guy that lives in a state, a Mormon enclave, if you will, where the power of the Mormon church is incredibly powerful in, in, in the city of Salt Lake City and in, in some of the other areas. <laughs> Although Salt Lake City has been pretty liberal for a long time, I think we've had many Democratic mayors. But 
he's not afraid to step up to anything. And, uh, you know, he's had a long track record being able to stand up to the Mormon church on many issues, although many people locally, you know, say that he played ball with them on several issues. But that's besides the point. My my point is that he's really had a career based on having to have a thick spine. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's not afraid of much, and he's not afraid to call a spade a spade, and he's very passionate about America and responsibility and everything that this country should be. And so I think he's an incredible human, and I I wanted him in the film to be able to just speak his mind because I knew he had much to offer. (laughs) And as you saw, he did, man, and he calls a spade a spade. But what's so amazing about what he said, Neil, was that he said that on September 15th, of uh, 2011, which was two days preceding the Occupy movement, because this whole film started exactly when the Occupy movement started. Oh, okay. Would you say, I mean, were you going to make the film before the Occupy movement, or was or was it the Occupy movement that brought about the film? No, 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 no. I was making it before. It just happened serendipitously. Right, and that's cool. Um, now, uh, so I guess, you know, we if, for those of you, for example, who are listening, who want to know who Rocky Anderson is, uh, there's a previous episode of E-Radio where I interviewed him for my Alternative Candidate series. Um, if you're looking for somebody, you know, that's actually what I've been telling people in 2012. You know, if nothing else, if you're one of those people who just chooses not to vote, you know, consider at least voting for a third-party candidate, like one of these people who actually cares about us. You know, even if you don't agree with everything they say, it's better than just not voting. There's a lot of people who just want to do that. And I'm like, no, that's exactly what the people who are controlling the system want. They would just love it if you stopped voting. It would make life so much easier for them because they could spend so much less money, you know, trying to control elections. But, um, you know, check out the uh, Rocky Anderson interview to those of you who are listening. Um, Anyway, so... um, now, uh, another thing that actually you, you brought up in your film, and it's interesting, uh, you mentioned, this is something that I, I noticed that is, is a topic that doesn't generally get talked about, but mostly because you're not allowed to ever talk about 9-11 or anything involving 9-11 without people getting their hackles up. But you brought up the fact that uh, the majority of the hijackers were, were from Saudi Arabia, um, yeah. yet we invaded two countries uh, one of which, you know, being Iraq, which we found was like a completely fraudulent like basis that we invaded Iraq, you know, and Afghanistan, arguably, you know, uh, I, I think it's really ironic that Congressman Ron Paul was suggesting back in 2008 during that, uh, you know, um, election that what should have been done instead was small strike teams to go after the people that were involved. You know, and then invading entire countries is not a successful foreign policy to get a small group of people. And then it was extremely ironic to me, extraordinarily ironic to me, that Osama bin Laden was finally brought down by a small surgical strike. Right. You know, not by invading Pakistan. Right. <laughs> you know, um, but anyway, you know, just the, the fact that you brought up and you broached even just a little bit on the subject of the House of Saud and, you know, the relationship between Saudi Arabia, Arabia and the United States you know, Saudi Arabia as far as oil and its and its connections, you know, and, and just the different ways that we treated the 9-11 thing. And that was the other thing. Uh, it was a real treat. Uh, I, I'm forgetting the fellow's name, but you talked to that former soldier. Dr. Uh, Sebastian Gorka, who's one of the uh, the, the world's preeminent uh, counter-terrorist experts. Right. Um, and uh, was it, there was also a, it was a younger guy I, I think you were talking to. like Zaid Jelani. Zaid Jelani. Yeah. In progress. 
Yeah, good. Those were all really great interviews. You had a lot of people in this film I'd love to have on the show someday. You know, a lot of good thinkers, good talkers. I mean, that's but that was actually pretty common in the in the, you know when you're rubbing elbows with the Occupy movement. That was something I think I miss with miss the most about camp. And I, I talk about this sometimes when I go to Occupy events in Detroit. Was just that you were surrounded by people that you could have these kinds of conversations with on a regular right. basis. Right. Now. Um, I know that obviously we're, we're still working on getting this film out, and I'm already getting. Wait, wait a second. Before we move on to that, can oh, I? Oh yeah, can go I, ahead. Go ahead. Because what you hit upon is really fascinating to me. That more, most of the people that I've, I've given screeners to the film have, have yet to really bring that up, and I, I've been somewhat worried that that was going to be a shocking revelation for people. Mm. Let, let me let me hit the rewind button here and, and give you some perspective. So, back in uh, 1999 or 1998, as a matter of fact. Um, I wrote a script called Mayhem, and the reason I wrote the script was because I was just disgusted with the, uh, you know, the witch trials of uh, Clinton as a result of uh, the Kenneth Starr investigations because I knew this guy, Osama bin Laden, was raping this crazy jihad flag out there, and so I wrote the script, and I started shopping around Hollywood, and so, you know, all of these guys were bouncing me after their, out of their offices because they did not want me to uh, name names. And, uh, you know, that was the whole purpose was to try to create a national dialogue about the real severity of the threat of, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda at the time. Right. And uh, so on the morning of 9-11, these guys all called me before I even saw, uh, you know, the news. And I got like all these calls in a row from the same people that I had met with. And I knew something was up at that point. Right. And so basically I had written a script about things that had led. It wasn't the exact same thing of 9-11, but it was enough to, you know, it, it was the same kind of concept. And, uh and so the 9-11 thing was in my mind forever. And I know there's a lot of shitload of conspiracy theorists and truthers and all that stuff, but the way 9-11 played out in my mind, the only conspiracy that's happened is the one that is based on our own consumption of fuel that has seen 20% increase in our Saudi exports, um, you know, in our consumption of their oil since 9-11. And I've known forever that the Saudis um, had been financing and throwing money to Al-Qaeda and all of their efforts in Afghanistan, <clears throat> which ultimately led to 9-11. And, you know, not once. I mean, I've I read the 9-11 Commission report, and there was like 27 missing pages, maybe 29 missing pages, <coughs> that detail the exact dimensions of what the Saudis actually did and who they were. But nobody, nobody there, I don't think there's ever even been an apology from Saudi Arabia let alone, uh, I mean, it's just like these people have swept it under the rug. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up in the film was because, you know, what I want to show with the oil and gas or just the oil industry in particular is that th these guys are willing, if they're willing to cover up 9-11, you know, what else are they capable of doing? These people aren't in our best interest. I mean, you know, it's ridiculous for anyone who's in the know, but just for people that are trying to survive and you know, make ends meet, and they go back and forth to school and everywhere else, and all they do is complain about the amount of money that they pay per gallon. You know, it's like people, oil is a finite resource. Oil didn't exist in terms of our economies until 150 years ago. It didn't really take over until post-World War II. We lived without it before, and we're going to have to live without it in the future. And at the moment, they're just sucking everything they can dry as fast as they can to maximize profits, for those that are on the top, it's a ma it's a mature capitalistic system, and you know what I just don't understand is that people do not have a an understanding of how what crisis we're actually in, and what are we going to do if we don't have a transition anyway, Neil? If we don't have a transition in place, where I mean we can't live without energy, and the thing is we have alternatives to everything that exists, and we could put it in play tomorrow 
and we could we could we could create millions of jobs overnight and uh, save the world economy. And uh, the fact that, and starting with our own, and we point that out in the film and how we can do that. Right, and it's and I definitely liked a lot of the the things that were laid out. Um, you know, in your film, and I think that uh, most of my listeners who are Venus Project advocates, um, they will like your film because it kind of answers some of the questions. Like uh, the work of Jacques Fresco is largely about like what we would be doing, I'd say, 50 years after what your film talks about. You know, like basically the idea is, all right, let's shift towards a uh, you know a renewable energy economy. Let's get out of these oils. You know, let this oil. Let, let's get out of the internal combustion engine. You know, let's let's work on the infrastructure and just like you know, Rifkin talks about creating jobs along the way. Which you know, I've actually been working on a show forever. Like, what if I, you know, what if VTV, meaning you know, Neil was president? And one of the first things I was was thinking was, you know, you know, you can solve the unemployment problem here in the United States by reworking our manufacturing systems to be working on renewable energy infrastructures. Yeah, Detroit would rebound overnight. Right. You know, and that's and 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 it would be great. Um, I think that, you know, inevitably, though, the oil companies want us on their uh, oil crap as long as they can get away with it. They they want us dependent on it as long as they can get away with it. Well, what Rifkin points out in the film, and I think this is what it's all about, man, is those things are elite energies, and they've devised these systems, and these are all, you know, think about our current generation. Everything is hierarchical, mm-hmm. typically internal, right? So everything comes from the top down. What's happened as a result of the internet generation and alternative media and the rest of it? It's 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 like one to many, or excuse me, everybody has access to everything, and that goes for alternative energy. I mean, for Christ's sake, man, the sun shines forever, so does wind. But you know what? They're intermittent energies, and for people out there scratching their heads going, well, wait a second, you know, how come we haven't been able to harness the power of, of renewables and uh, make it work well because there's still you know a lot of technological things that have got to happen but they've discovered that hydrogen which is the number one carrier uh it's it's the most abundant um you know uh it's the most abundant in in the universe and it's the greatest carrier of energies and so you store hydrogen water with energy that you pull down uh you know sun from the from the solar displays on your house or you know from wind uh variations or geothermal or whatever the case is and you store them in uh, hydrogen, in a, tank of, in a tank of hydrogen, and then what you don't use goes back to the grid. So you become your own entrepreneur of energy, and that's the greatest threat in the history of threats to the fossil fuel industry because that means each and every one of us can produce our own energy, and that's exactly what they don't want. It's a, it's a, it's a war right now. Dude, I think, that, I think the fossil fuel industry reminds me a lot of slavery. They have the same mindset. Absolutely. And that's actually one of the things that, um, you know, we talk about constantly. And I usually kind of I told people this actually at my own Occupy Detroit uh, lecture that you guys can find on the Zeitgeist uh, YouTube channel or you can find a a not as nice looking version on my YouTube channel. Peter Joseph grabbed it and, and edited it to make it look better. But anyway, one of the things I talked about was that if there's a there's a hole in the economy that's being created intentionally. I and I totally think your solutions will work and I hope that those are the ones that get realized and the only thing that occurred to me was that you know if for some reason you know the elite hold on to the power that they have you know if I think that we have too many people that are waiting around expecting for politicians who are owned by people who who outsource and downsize you know and automate labor to create jobs for them which is never going to happen it's never going to happen 
you know, and that's why I tell people the solution is we as communities need to come together and get off the grid. You know, we as communities need to come together and and make the the system as irrelevant to our lives as possible. Take power you stop away. Stop buying what they're selling, and I agree with that one hundred percent. And I want to try to do that myself as soon as possible, sure. Neil. And you're absolutely right, dude. And you know that was the beauty of Occupy to me. Yeah. The, the whole thing about occupying, you know, th- there was always this misunderstanding of occupying the general media, and, and I've got theories on that. That you know, obviously we all did was because it's corporate media, and that was the nature that they had to they had to derail it. But then we found out that we live in a totalitarian state after the fact. And my God, I mean, the, the, the whole situation with busting up the encampments the way they did is just, it, it, I think, will be written as a, a real blemish on, on American history. And I think it's leading us to a place that, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You know, I I study political science, and the difference between conspiracy theorists and, let's say, a political scientist is discipline. To just connect the dots of fact, you just got to sort through all the madness to get to where the real the real tentacles are. You know what I mean? It's not to say that there's not conspiracy. Of course there is, but it's not like this, you know, out of touch sort of like fantasy. It's no, these are real people doing real things for real outcomes for real agendas that serve real bottom lines. And that's always the way it is, like our dependence on Saudi Arabian oil and the way that whole situation works. Why in the world would, I mean, could you imagine after World War II, Neil, that we would have still had a relationship after Pearl Harbor with the Japanese? No, eventually you had Hiroshima. But now we've got rich Saudis playing Vegas casinos with a bunch of hookers that they don't want on YouTube back in Saudi Arabia. I mean, this is the world we live in because they're hanging out with their billionaire comrades that they are financing. You know, I'll, I'll never forget this. I, w- I was in the Plaza Hotel in New York City, which is one of the most, uh, you know, renowned hotels in the world. And uh, all I saw were, like, Wall Street investment tycoons sitting side by side with Saudi sheiks. And I thought to myself, that's the way the world works right there. <laughs> right, right. It was all right in front of my face, you know, at the Plaza Hotel. So the bottom line is, Neil, that that to your point, that the only way we're going to rectify this thing is twofold. One is people need to understand that it it all has to happen simultaneously in my mind. One, if you're aware of problems, you're aware that you're a victim of a situation that no longer works except for the benefit of the few and that those few do just exactly what you said, own our government. You need to come out in mass, whether it's in the streets or with your buying power, and stop buying what they're selling. That is our only chance. And the United States, our, our, our founding fathers, I think, would be ashamed of what we've become because we have become nothing of the enlightened sort of uh, libertarians, if you will, of the day. And, you know, obviously, you know, the Cokes are libertarians, and that's not what I consider a positive force in the United States. So, you know, it's common sense at the end of the day for me, Neil, and I just, I just pray to God that we as Americans can find the courage and the camaraderie to know that we're on the same team if you believe that all men are created equal and that we uh, have the opportunity to live free and, and, and healthy and strong lives. But freedom is not to distort uh, things for your own benefit because if you pretend that somebody is like Barack Obama for all of his faults, and he's got plenty of them, trust me, I'm not a giant Obama fan, um, but at the same time, he's a whole lot better than the alternative to me. But then again, mm-hmm. you've got Rocky Anderson out there, but then it's a big connection. I the battle of the presidency to me is so not as important as what's going on in Congress at the moment. Right. Absolutely. No, I tell people that all the time. Like, there are a lot of them who are so hoodwinked into this. Like the things that they argue about, like I'm going to end up bringing this up again because I can't stop myself, but the drone strikes 
The arguments about drone strikes drive me crazy. Like, we need to get Obama out because of drone strikes. And I'm like, as if drone strikes weren't going on during the Bush administration, you know, as if they would not have gone on if we elected McCain. Come on. You know, as if they won't go on if Romney is in. It's just the things we get distracted with. You know, I I think is my point. It's not to say that I support drone strikes. Nobody supports drone strikes. But it's asinine to suggest that those will suddenly stop if you elect Romney. When you consider it's the neoconservatives, you know, who are the ones who gave us this, they, you know, uh, let's conquer all these countries and just tell everybody that they hate us because we're free. You know, foreign policy is where it came from, you know. And that's it's amazing to me, actually, how the propaganda gets twisted on that, because I'm not a Obama guy either. If anything, I'm a Green Party person. But, you know, yeah. but still, you know, it's you know, they, they even reframe it like Obama's war, you know, as if we're all stupid enough to forget who got into the war in the first place, you know, or, you know, and actually this is no, no, really it's not amazing how they do that, that they, they literally have taken no accountability and that, you know, and, but the thing is, media is allowing them to get away with that. See, journalism was always supposed to be the fourth estate and the stuff that, you know, the buck stopped there. But, you know, we've lost any sensibility of professional journalism over the course of the last, you know, 15 years at least. You know, I mean, I certainly have my, you know, people I tend to listen to, but, you know, uh, on, on more of the progressive side, if you will. Sure. Uh, but but they're far they're far from like you know for example like Rachel Maddow man I love Rachel Maddow she's a she's a smart woman and and you know she calls a spade a spade on a lot of things with a lot of in depth analysis but you know what I've never heard her do what she time? does not go after the fossil fuel industry you know why because they're paying for seventy five percent of her airtime and when I just think about that it just blows it all up for me you know what I mean it's like come on this whole thing's a facade dude the whole no thing I is agree. A- I, I totally agree. You know, and that's, I tell people to be very careful about, I mean, like, because every now and then, like, I'll link a, a Keith Olbermann thing or I'll link a Rachel Maddow thing, but is it by any means like a replacement for, ironically, you get better news from the Comedy Central Jon Stewart stuff. True. You True. know, good. And, and that's a guy that, you know, it's ironic that you got to go to a comedian, you know, and, I, and the funny thing is you can get more accurate information about conservatives by watching the Corbett report, which is a parody on conservatism, you know, which I find to be really funny. You know, it's the guys trying to make fun of it, and you can still get more insight as to what's going on from watching his show than you can from watching Bill O'Reilly, you know, stick his finger in people's faces media, and tell them to shut up. Joke. It's a polarized waste of time with a lot of these, 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 these. Uh, you know, these. I mean, come on. Who was Bill O'Reilly? You know, back in the day. I mean, what was he on? Uh, what was his entertainment program in, in Hollywood? Like Total Access or something like that. I mean, the, come on. The guy's a clown, right? But right. Um, you know, and, and I love. I like Keith Olbermann. He's a little bit nutty, but you know, the bottom line is that uh, you know the way we polarize media, and I, I you know, and I, I work in media, and I understand media and ad sales and the rest of it, and you know, as long as they get a sustained one to three rating, you know, they can justify paying. I don't know, $300,000 per 30-second spot. You know, I mean, and, that, and it's just, oh, and that leads to why I wanted to go on this journey to begin with, because I needed to get out of my own space, Neil, and I had to go connect with America on her terms, which was so brilliant, when Occupy happened, because everybody came out, you know, at the same time. And it was just so amazing, because, um, you know, we were all sensing the same thing, and, and we all had to escape our bubble. And the bubble being, okay, what other people are telling us, which, you know, intuitively is not working anymore. And, uh, you know, there were thousands of us out there in the streets, and it's been, and it's been completely marginalized by the, by the police uh, crackdowns, which is just insane. What's your, what's your position on all of that, Neil? Because I, I haven't been 
you know, catching up with you. That Tell me what you've been telling your viewers about the police crackdowns. Well, you know, the thing about that, the funny thing is, is that I don't think anybody ever realized the impact that would have on the Occupy movement. I know there are still some camps out there, for example, but like the impact on Occupy Detroit, for example, without having a camp. And it's difficult to talk about this with some people because they get kind of upset because don't get me wrong. Having camps had serious drawbacks. You know, you're you're kind of trying to do political activism in the middle of some of the the worst crime ridden cities on the planet. You know, you're surrounded by uh, drug drug dealers, drug addicts, you know, it, there were all kinds of drawbacks, but at the same token, I think that the camps, you know, a lot of ways, you know, had the same kind of like, uh, you know, uh, what's the best way to put it? Well, first of all, it had a unifying, uh, the, the, the mutual concern as far as to like, you know, the, the fact that you're in a dangerous situation, unified people of many different groups. You know, even if you didn't agree with someone at camp, you still all had the common threat that you needed to be ready for, which ironically was the environment or the police or both. You know, and when that was gone, although don't get me wrong, Occupy Detroit is still doing a lot of great stuff. It definitely had a serious impact on the effectiveness of the organization as far as like its cohesion and, you know, its its interest. And that and the fact that when you're out in those parks and you're in the camps, it's in people's faces, reminding people every day that this hasn't stopped and we're still here and this is what we're willing to go through in order to bring this message to the people. So It was the most, it was the most heroic thing I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and, I, 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 you know, we, we got to Zuccotti when it crescendoed. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget being after that. You know, my journey was an 8,500-mile journey in 10 weeks where we went to 23 occupied sites and spoke with people around the country on so many different levels and really got such a great understanding of the nature of things that, quite frankly, I wasn't in tune with prior to having that sort of exposure. Again, I, you know, I was, uh, I thought, relatively informed, and then I was able to understand the whole nature of the problem such that now it's so obvious to me how things work, and that's really in, 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 in due part in large measure to everything I learned through the whole Occupy movement. And, and it's like, you know, there was a lot of different voices, a lot of different agendas, you know, but really there was about seven major, uh, uh, you know, agendas, uh, excuse me, major objectives that I completely agreed with. I mean, everything from, you know, getting rid of Citizens United, of course, mm -hmm. getting money out of politics. I mean, that's the number one toxic asset in the United States, <laughs> not the uh, meltdown of the mortgage market. Uh, then the justice for the crooks that got us into this business that are walking around free and Goldman and, and, and of course, you know, uh, I mean, I, I think it's Lloyd Blankenfein's birthday today, as a matter of fact. Happy birthday, Lloyd. Uh, you know, and, and, and Chase and, and, you know, their $9 billion screw-up by doing what? Derivatives, man. And all of this bullshit that they were doing beforehand. You know, these guys are the biggest liars in the history of the world. They're not capitalists. Capitalism doesn't exist. They're crony capitalists. And the fact that this country rose up to challenge them gave me faith in our country. And the fact is, it can't be done. And I swear, Neil, if my phone can get out there, tell me if I'm wrong. Do you think it will have a positive impact? Do you think it might help spark certain things and bring other people to uh, the table that uh, might not otherwise be there? Well, I definitely think your film um, touches on a lot of things. And as I said earlier, that you know, have not really been explained as clearly 
I think. Um, I think that's one aspect, like, you know, I use films, you know, kind of like I have an arsenal of films that I recommend to people, you know, from different backgrounds to give them an idea of, okay, you know, the different issues that, you know, are going on in the world. And I can already see that, you know, once your film is out there, I'm going to be using yours, for example, to explain the, you know, the, the bailout situation, to give a better face to the Occupy movement, you know, to talk about, you know, like your, your story, your personal story about things, to kind of give them an example of that. You know, this did happen to upper middle class. It did happen, you know. Um, that was the other thing, actually. You know, the other thing about your film that I really liked was the insight with the, from that guy that you said, you know, was part of one part of the 1%. Yeah. You know, and the stuff that he was saying was just... He was saying, wake him over the coals, man. Put him yep. in jail. Yep. Really insightful stuff that that guy had to say. Yeah, he's... He's an awesome personality. I'd love to have him on the show someday too. But do you remember? Do you remember what he said when he called them bottom feeder pigs? I, I thought that was really, you know, he's like, I oh, know. What did he say? His line was, uh, you know, I've got an idea. Why don't we build trust in the community so when that bottom feeder pig from Goldman comes to try to, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, bottom feed, that you can say no, not for sale, especially not for sale to somebody like you. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, I loved that line. No, and yeah. all the stuff he was saying during the credits was great too, you know. Um, but yeah, that's I just it's it's unfortunate. I, I really look forward to seeing when this gets released, and you know, and when you get to that point, you know, and you know, especially if I get more feedback from the fans, I'll be sure to share it with you. And you know, that being said, that's actually the reason I brought that up was, uh, what's next on the agenda after you get this started? Well, let, let me tell you, man. I, you know. I, at the end of my film, I say, you know, which was naturally, you know, coming out because, you know, I do have love of family and love of country, and and I believe in the American dream more than anything. The American dream is to dig fail, and and we have to we have to believe that with all of our heart and souls, and and we need to fight for that in ways that we haven't even begun to describe yet. You know, I mean, Occupy was fighting for the American dream, and we all have to come to the table and do that, and. You know, uh, what's next? I, I, you know, I'm talking to all the major distributors, and you know, I came late. I was three months late on my edit because of some, you know, technical problems and not really getting the right message out. And I had 240 hours worth of footage that I had to go through, and I had to go through a couple of different drafts to, to get to what you saw. And, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, Neil, um, you know, i I got to believe someone's going to see this and help me get this thing out there to, like, what my goal is given the circumstances and the timing, is to have this film in a lot of the uh, swing state um, uh, areas like Ohio and Florida and so forth, and, and basically, you know, then build some momentum, you know, with hopefully some positive press. And then I think everything that's in this film is relevant long after the election. But uh, the, the long and the short of it is, I'm sure, I, 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 and you tell me, did, did you get a positive uh, feeling at the end of this? I mean, is the film positive or is the film... Yes, it is, actually. I was going to say that, too. It, it brings back, uh, you know, an idea of hope. There's definitely a positive upturn, you know, um, and it definitely, I think, in that aspect, motivates people because that's another thing that I think some films have failed at, you know, is that they, they're they so dire. And I get it. Yeah, the situation's dire, but, you know, some people are so apathetic that you show them a film like that and it just pushes them further into apathy. You know, they're less likely to be activists, but you didn't do that. You know, you, you kind of, you know, you put an inspirational ending to it, you know, that, that motivates people to get out and do stuff, you know, and it's funny actually, like when you pointed out that the election was important to you was that overall, I was not looking at what I would call a a, a pro Obama propaganda piece. In fact, I, I don't think you even talked about him at all. 
um, you very, know, very but it's it's pretty evident when people look at it though that they need to be more conscious when they vote one way or the other. And I think another thing that I would give you credit for, as much as that that guy from the Koch brothers drove me nuts, there are a lot of documentarians out there who would never have done that. Like they would have never given that guy a chance to talk. You know, they would never have put him in their film. You know, right. and and you did give an opportunity for people from the extreme right, from the Koch brothers or whatever, you know, to kind of give their explanations and. You know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, it, in, in many ways, it, it didn't really hurt your case very much, because just listening to those guys talk is usually <laughs> enough to figure out that they're not either playing with the full deck or that they're they're pushing a an agenda that's not, you know, does not, as you said earlier, have our best interests at heart. Well, when I say in the film, I'm like, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'm really curious how the audience is going to respond to that. When I say, you know, I know when someone's pissing on my head and telling me it's rain, do you? <laughs> yeah, that brought a huge, like, a laugh out loud moment when that came up. Cause that's definitely what was up there, you know, was just that, you know, the guy was just kind of giving you the, the, the drive on that. And you know what terrifies me about that? Uh, there's a film that I'm going to recommend to you um, that's already out there. It's called uh, Astro Turf Wars, and it talks about the Koch Brothers and the Tea Party. You know, um, and their influence on the Tea Party and what the Tea Party turned into. As you know, a result, yeah. And it's it's scary to me that these people are being sold this free market thing. Like this is going to be the solution. This is going to solve it. You know, but like several of the guests that you brought on your film, you know, talked about was that this is the result of deregulation. This yeah. is the result of freeing the market. You know, and a lot of the people that advocate freeing the market even further it's like well why don't we just stop pretending that we're even attempting to be a representative democracy let's just go ahead and be a plutocracy you know that's, right. what, that's it's, what it's all about and that's what people don't understand man is that that's that's the swing right if right. you don't have the representative government that's strong enough to be able to manhandle its giant corporations mm-hmm. then what you've got is a plutocracy of and for and by the corporation and anybody who's worked for a corporation since the 80s or even the 70s knows that ultimately, you know, you're all expendable. And that was the main message of my film, is that I'm not expendable and neither are you. Right. Absolutely. You know, Patrick, it's been awesome having you on tonight. And I, I hope that in the future I might be able to call you on to be a panelist if you have time to talk Ooh. about other topics. I frequently do, like, uh, news shows where I'll just pick a few random articles. And, of course, I source them. And then, you know, me and our, our various uh you know, uh, people who are participating in the broadcast, I usually get a different, you know, group of people every time, you know, we talk about current events. And um, as you get closer to film release, uh, please get back with me. I will be writing a review of your film and submitting it to the Zeitgeist newsletter. Um, And uh, I look forward to seeing it released. People are definitely interested in in checking it out. Um, in, In the meantime, I mean, is there anywhere that people can go at least just to get updates on it or... Well, I had, you know, I had a, uh, a Facebook page up for most of the, you know, the production, but I let it go recently because I've just been so deeply immersed in this, 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 this real hard trudge through the sales process. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm walking, you know, the way I describe it is I'm, I'm trying to get to the top of Mount Everest walking backwards without any shoes on. And that's for the right distribution deal to make money on a film that maybe not necessarily that's the right way to go. Maybe I find, you know, online distribution and just let people, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, donate money if they see fit and that sort of thing. But one way or the other, the film's going to get out there. I, I think the film's message in my experience is going to resonate with millions of people if it can get out there. 
because I think millions of people are looking for a voice that represents their own, and I believe I've ex executed that. And um, I, I am deeply passionate about our country. I'm deeply passionate about our history. I'm in love with the American dream, and I'm in love with responsibility and fighting the good fight. And I just think that apathy kills. And I think that if there's anything that I know your viewers or listeners aren't about is apathy, because they wouldn't they wouldn't have found you if they were. And I just I just applaud you and in, in, in your effort to, to, to bring stories like this to people that wouldn't otherwise know about it. And it's really, it's, it's been a, a tremendous honor to be on your show. Man. All right. Well, um, I'm actually going to go ahead and end this segment there, but I'd like to talk to you a little bit off the air, if you don't mind. No, uh, no. And uh, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in tonight. Thank you for tuning in to V-Radio. If this is your first time listening to V-Radio, please check out my website, v-radio.org. Uh, there you can find of archives of more shows like this one. Uh, V-Radio is a, a donation-supported effort, so if you liked what you heard tonight, please consider a donation. You can find it at the Donate tab on my website. So um, thanks again for being on. I will leave you guys with some words from George Carlin on our way out. The Americans seem to think that the party's going to last forever, and the holiday goes on and on, and they don't really see the error of certain things. I mean, uh, Thomas Rainsford Lounsbury was an educator in the 19th century, and he said, it never ceases to surprise me at the infinite capacity of the human mind to resist the introduction of useful knowledge. And that's what it is. People know better. People sense better. But they go against it. They just think it's they, they they just, there are no consequences. It, it kills me that it's a steady downhill slide. Uh, you know, we're headed. This country is really finished. I mean, it really is technically finished. It's just a matter of playing out the end game. Well, it's true. It's true. You can see it. You can smell it. Anyone who can't see it or smell it doesn't understand. Yeah. Uh, there's a medical term that they use in hospitals when a person has no future left on this planet. They can't be helped anymore. And they put it on the chart, CTD, circling the drain. And that's what we're doing. We're slowly circling the drain, and, and, and the circles get smaller, and they get faster. I enjoy it. Personally, I, I don't have a stake in the outcome. Right. I personally enjoy this, this circus that I've been invited to. I, I, I've often said when you're born in the world, you're given a ticket to the freak show. When you're born in America, you're given a front row seat. And I couldn't enjoy it more. And I'm talking about the fact that a, a war is uh, old men.